back. It's time for customers who click. I'm super excited about this episode as I got to spend the best part of an hour chatting about something I love, CRO. For anyone unfamiliar with the term, it stands for conversion rate optimization. However, the purpose of the conversation is actually to discuss some of the misconceptions around conversion rate optimization and why it's not actually about conversions and, and certainly not about A-B testing. My guest today is the fantastic John McDonald, founder of The Good, a CRO agency based out in the States. They've been in the game for over 13 years now, working with loads of great companies. Let's get John on now and we'll discuss why CRO is so misunderstood. Hi, John. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just quickly introducing yourself, give us a, a bit of your background and what you're up to today? Of course. So John McDonald, I'm the founder and CEO of The Good. It's a conversion rate optimization firm. Our mission is to remove all of the bad online experiences until only the good remain. We've been doing this for 13 years now. Believe it or not, it's been forever. Work with brands large and small, Nike, Xerox, Adobe, The Economist, down to tons and tons of midsize e-commerce brands as well. So excited to be here. And yeah, it's been a journey. Amazing. Sounds great. Well, yeah, it's interesting you've said 13 because I think that's, uh, that's going to perfectly lead into what I want to talk to, talk about today, um, about some of the misconceptions. But just first, I, I'd like to hear from you. Like, What do you think is the biggest opportunity for, for e-commerce businesses right now? Well, I think that the biggest opportunity is is really just getting back to the basics. So many brands went to e-com during the pandemic that they kind of just pushed everything out the door as quickly as possible. And we're seeing this a lot now with brands that are coming to the good saying, hey, you know, last couple of years, our goal was to just get e-commerce stood up and, and really put some effort behind it. It was almost, it was weird. Like before the pandemic, a lot of brands treated e-commerce as kind of this additional offshoot, but not a core part of their business. And now we're seeing that it's become a huge revenue driver and a lot more efforts being put towards it for, for that subset of brands that didn't treat it as seriously or give it the priority it was due before the pandemic. Now they're almost being forced to. And, um, I think that the biggest opportunity out there is really just to get back to the basics for these brands. It's it's all about talking to their consumers and having a really good understanding of of what the visitors are trying to accomplish on their site, which they're still in that phase of this is what we want people to do, so we're going to tell them to do these things on our site. And that, that's turning a lot of a lot of customers away who can get better experiences at digitally native brands. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's tempting to just kind of get going with it and say, well, you know, especially if you've been heavily kind of off offline anyway, you know, really tempting to set that website up and say, could we, we know what sells, we know what works, let's just drive traffic to the website and people will buy. Right. And forgetting that, you know, one of the big things is you, you can't give that in-store experience online. Well, right, you can, but, you know, it, it's it's difficult. It's very, very different. And the majority of brands will just stick a website up you know, it's effectively just a catalog that you can buy from. I've I've said over the years that I'm a firm believer that if uh, websites were generated by marketers instead of salespeople, original websites, we would have a, a much more usable experience. The problem is right now, so much websites have become marketing heavy that they are, you know, either fall in two camps. It's so marketing heavy, you can't figure out what you're trying to do as a consumer and you can't get the tasks you want done on the site. And from a sales perspective, it, it's just a catalog. 
And then it's like there's no there's no emotion, there's no reason I should be buying. I don't understand what the brand stands for. How you find that big the mix of the two is really the big challenge. Consumers are only at a website for two reasons. They're there to understand can you solve my pain or need? Yeah, I something led me there that believes that you have a solution for my pain or need. It would be in an ad, a referral, an article I read, whatever it might be. Once they're there and they've determined you can help them, they want to convert as quickly and easily as possible. And those are the only two tasks consumers are on sites to do, yet so many brands treat it as marketing at consumers that are visiting as opposed to helping use that marketing to guide their experience. And so, again, I'm a firm believer that if websites were, were originally created not just for sales purposes, we would have a much better experience overall. Yeah, I think it comes down to company journey versus customer journey, doesn't it? Mm. That's kind of the, the way simple way of putting it. So many brands are thinking, this is what we want to achieve. Right. And and that's how they, like you said, that's how they set their websites up. And that's how everything gets added over time. And the the kind of iterations that happen to that website are purely based off what does the business want to achieve? Not mm-hmm. how do we make it easier for the customers to find what they're looking for and buy what they're looking for. Right. That's a great and, point. And I love that, that path of customer versus company. And why are they at odds? They shouldn't be because... They both want to convert, right? A customer wants to convert as quickly and easily as possible and get on with their lives. And a brand wants that customer to convert. That's the whole reason they have the website to begin with. So yeah. you, it's actually, there's alignment there that I think a lot of brands just ignore and un, don't understand that by by helping people accomplish their goals, they're going to convert higher percentages and everybody wins in, in that that situation. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to get into CRO, obviously, because that's what yeah. we both do. There's, uh, I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding about what CRO is. So I, I guess it's a two, two-part question. Firstly, why do you think that is? And secondly, how would you describe CRO? Mm-hmm. So I think that this is because so many brands, e-commerce brands especially, have been asking for conversion optimization without truly understanding what it is. So it's created this almost perpetual flywheel of misinformation where brands ask for CRO from their digital marketing agency who has helped them design, maybe even launch their e-commerce website. So they go back to that well, thinking that's the appropriate place to go. No fault. That makes sense on a, on a surface level. And then that, that, marketing firm doesn't have the expertise maybe they have one person who can do some testing or can has done analytics and understands that maybe they're google analytics certified but they they don't have the entire breadth of school i mean well you know this as well as i do there's no school that teaches everything we need to know about optimization it is a grab bag of a whole bunch of different things that need to be brought in together and skill sets you're launching a b test you gotta know how to front end code a little bit you gotta know some data science and math behind it you gotta understand statistical significance and the different models behind that and as well as great user experience and be able to talk to consumers for doing interviews and user testing 
So you're using both left and right hand brain. And there's no one single degree that you can get that helps you know all of these things. But so many of these marketing agencies are getting requests that they say and they list on their website a bullet point that says they do conversion optimization. And they have one person on their team who who can do this, but it's, you know, probably at that scale, not a one-person job. So what happens is that they end up perpetuating with the brand this misinformation about what it is. And it's just this bad cycle that I've seen happen over and over. And it's really ramped up the last five or so years where it's become a lot more popular. And I think that you know most brands think that it's just A-B testing. They look at it and they say, what is it? Uh, we need to optimize. Oh, okay, we're immediately going to go to A-B testing. I kind of look at A-B testing as like, you know, if, if it's an educational journey, elementary school or, you know, grade school when you're first starting out as a child in, in, in optimization is all about just understanding your customers. It's interviewing, talking to your customers. You shouldn't be doing any A-B test at that point because you don't have any information about what you should be testing, right? You're, otherwise, you're just going to be guessing and at that point, is it really that helpful? Because you're just running tests that take time and you don't know why you're running it. You don't have a solid hypothesis behind it. T- time so. and resource. And mm-hmm. ch- chances are, if it's an uneducated guess at a test, even if it's a winner, it's going to be a pretty small one. Right. I think Yeah. that's, and that's what I've seen. You might get lucky, but the reality is you still don't know why you got lucky. So you don't learn anything from it. You just go ahead and implement, and then you're back to zero again with starting over guessing more tests instead of being able to iterate and build upon your learnings on a regular monthly cycle or whatever cycles you can operate on. So, you know, the second part of that question is what, what is, well, how would I define CRO? And I would define it more as an iterative process. It's not one skill. It's not just A-B testing, just user testing. It is really bringing together qualitative and quantitative data and those skill sets that are required and then learning and iteratively over a monthly, we do it at the good, we do it in monthly cycles. But if you can move faster, great. Probably hard to do unless you have a ton of traffic. But the reality is, if you're learning and you're continually building upon that, you will increase your metrics month over month, and you'll start to see that grow in a sustainable fashion. Instead of following the list of best practices that that single person at that big marketing agency is probably going to whip out that checklist and say, here's a checklist. The reality is there's no single checklist for every single site because the technology is different. The consumers and visitors on the site are different. The products are different. The pricing's different. You know, the time the and customization can be different. I mean, we've optimized everything from custom. There's a company in the United States called Mastercraft that does boats that are $150,000, $200,000 U.S. boats. Really expensive, custom-made sport boats. Down to the stitching that you can put on the seats and the leather. All the way to optimizing t-shirts, brands that sell t-shirts, right? And so those are two wildly different optimization experiences. A t-shirt is an impulse buy, 20 bucks, I'm going to go on that site and just, you know, okay, I like the design, I'm going to buy it. 
and I expect it to be there within a few days. A Mastercraft boat, you're ordering six, nine months beforehand because it's got to go through the factory. And you're making, there's hundreds of thousands of permutations of the decisions that you can make and the way that that boat can come out with all of the options. So you're making a ton of decisions. You're putting a lot of effort into that. And it's a massive life purchase. It's not something that you're just going to, on a whim, buy a custom boat and custom make it overnight. So two wildly different optimization experiences. Well, yeah, so just to touch on that, having a chat with someone today, earlier today about kind of about that, you know, how much people need to consider a purchase, you know, how long it takes, how much education and, and whatever needs to go into it. And we were talking about forms and, and basically best practice. Yeah. And in this case, we were saying, well, best best practice for forms is to reduce friction, which is, you know, reduce the number of fields. But when you've got high consideration purchases, you know, for example, a custom made boat, mm-hmm. you know, uh, reducing the number of fields is probably going to reduce your conversion rate. Because mm-hmm. if I'm looking at spending, I don't know, 50,000, 50,000 on a boat is, is my guess, could be 100. Yeah. You know, if they, if, if I came across a, f- a form on their website, which said, you know, what's your name, your email address, and your your zip code postcode, mm-hmm. and we'll send you a quote. I'd be thinking, that's not right. right. Like, you, how how can you possibly send me a quote based on that information? I did have something recent. I cannot remember what it was. I think it was insurance. I filled out an insurance quote the other day, and it just did not ask me anywhere nearly enough, <laughs> anywhere near enough information, which was really concerning. But yeah, so but th- that's an example of where mm-hmm. you know you can't just apply best practice because it just wouldn't make sense and it's not going to work. Well, that's when you go into other types of uh, optimizations, right? So, right, you can't apply a checklist, but what you could do there is step things out on the form, which is what we ended up doing for, for the boat company we worked with where we said, okay, first thing, what's the order, what's the flow chart of decisions that need to be made here, Right. And with that in mind, where can how can we chunk these out so it doesn't feel like it's such an arduous task? It's all happening at once. And so we took something that has 50 to possibly 75 in that range decisions that need to be made to complete the order. And we said, okay, what's the first thing? Well, choose the model because that's going to determine the decisions from there. And then the second step was, do you want us to do this for you? Here's some stock models. If you're just like, I don't care. I want one of the stock models. I don't have time to make any decisions. You know, I'm, this is just for my family to have fun on the weekends. I'm just going to click this one right here. And it has all the most popular options on it. And, and so we did that, offered that, which incre- like that increased their conversion rate dramatically because a lot of the people who are buying, these boats don't have the time to do that because it's it is it's the most expensive boat you can buy that's well, not a yacht, right? Or the, so the knowledge, the understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, just, uh, just yeah, I mean, I, I worked with a similar in a, a kind of similar company, custom PCs, custom gaming mm-hmm. PCs. So people are spending a couple of thousand, maybe three foot four thousand on a PC. A lot of them, you know. They, they admitted they didn't really understand what they were doing with the configurator. The information wasn't clear. They didn't know the difference between two processors that 
on paper looked very similar, but maybe were 500 pounds different. Mm-hmm. And so when we started looking at, well, what about the, so what, what they had called next day models, which were, these are built computers, you buy it, we'll just ship it. And then what I was, what we were looking into while I was working with them was these, what do we call them? Pre-configured builds. builds. Mm-hmm. So these were still, you know, not made. So they would still take one to two weeks to arrive. But it was basically, if you're a, like a hardcore gamer and you've got a budget of £2,000, this is a pre, pre-configured build and you can just make some tweaks to it if you want to. Mm-hmm. But we've done the work for you. You know, it's, it's a top of the range PC. It is custom for you, but, but yeah, we've done most of the work for them so that they can just say, yeah, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. You're telling me that's going to be the right PC for me. Cool. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, a great model. And again, it's, you know, we started this, this thread around forum optimization and you can see how deep you can go and the experience that's required to really have that <laughs> to, to know these are the options. And, and, you know, again, this is somebody who, if they just work at a, a, a large marketing agency and they're a sole person there, how are they going to influence that entire customer journey throughout the entire digital marketing team or the the designer they're working with, et cetera? That's going to be a really hard lift for a single person in a position like that. And I think that's a huge challenge that I think a lot of brands are finding right now that they're having these bad experiences with CRO. And it's because they're they're not getting the right support and they have a, a misunderstanding about what CRO is. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, I've, when I was in house, I, I had that same experience, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the performance marketing agency saying, "Yeah, we could do conversion rates for you," and then, you, yeah, it, it turns out that their idea of conversion rate optimization is isn't even testing. It's it is literally just following some best practices and saying, "Oh, I think you should remove that that field from your form mm-hmm. because you know, do you really need that piece of data?" Which is kind of a valid question, but right? do do you really need you know on, on a lot of e-commerce sites you still get company as a form field, yeah. right? Do you really need that on there? But it's the fact that there's no there's no process to it, there's no strategy behind it. It is literally a checklist of things. They're looking over your website and saying you probably don't need that, or yeah. and I know you'll you'll love this discounts, right? Yeah. Improve improve conversion rates. Well, you know you don't offer a first time customer discount. So maybe if yeah. you introduce that. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, you know my soapbox on discounts, it sounds like. so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that's a shortcut that a lot of brands take. And they look at uh, conversion optimization and they're, you know, conversion optimization is not a two-way street. One direction is I'm going to improve the user experience and that's going to lead to more conversions. The other way is I'm going to try to improve conversions. And so I'm going to make decisions on the website just to improve conversions. And it doesn't work, right? Because you then are resulting or resorting, excuse me, to black hat techniques, if you will, where you're doing things like negative intent shaming, right? So you have these pop-ups that are like, you know, say, no, (laughs) I don't like discounts. And instead of just being like close or no thanks Right. And so then you end up shaming people into taking actions that are beneficial for the brand, but not for the consumer. That's not sustainable. 
So really focusing on what value you can add for the consumer instead of take away on discounts, right? So discounting is all about a dollar or percentage off. I'm a huge component uh, proponent of saying you should really just add value. So free gift with purchase, free shipping, you know, is there some type of additional resource or training guide that you can give them if they buy a complicated product, right? Mm-hmm. What type of customization can you do? Can you do a bundle, right? So instead of discounting a single product, can you bundle up three products and offer that at a lower price because they're buying all three together and that incentivizes the average order value to go up? There's so many of these types of other triggers that can be used that brands just immediately go to the easy button, which is discount instead. Yeah, and I think there's an an important point there, like, Obviously, those promotions still cost you money as a brand, right? We're, sure. we're not, and 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 they are still an incentive. We're not saying you can't incentivize customers. You you can. The only thing you should be doing is is convincing them of the value of that product. Mm-hmm. You can still offer promotions, but it just it's a different uh, different mentality behind it. Really, mm-hmm. it's not. You know, like you said, you're offering value. You're you're giving something extra with that purchase, which makes the customer feel a bit good, you know, might make them feel, oh, I don't want to miss out on this free gift. Mm-hmm. Whereas a discount is purely, this product is not worth 100% of its value. Right. We're knocking off 20%. And as far as you're aware, we're still making money. So now we're telling you that even at 20% off, it's not, it's not worth that much money. Uh, exactly. You are immediately telling your consumers that your products aren't worth, worth what you charge for them. They're worth the discounted price. And you're creating a discount customer for life. You know, no, once you pay 20% less, do you think I'm going to come back to that product and order it again and want to pay full price? Absolutely not. Because I now know I can get it for 20% off. So what am I going to do? Well, now I'm going to get in the checkout and I'm looking online for a coupon code. And I spend 10, 15 minutes looking for a coupon code. I'm trying a bunch of them. None of them work. I get super frustrated. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have time for this. And I bounce. And or I'm going, I'm like, okay, I know if I sign up via email, I can do that. Incognito mode browser. I'm going to sign up for another email because I'm going to get that first time visitor pop up. And I'm going to use a junk email address that I know I didn't use with that brand yet. I'm never going to open those emails. Because that's that's. Uh, also, the only way it's tracked, it's, it's yeah. almost almost never done on credit card or, or delivery address. Yeah. It's always just what is that email address, and yeah. you can create a thousand, you know, a thousand different email addresses very easily. Yeah, I mean, you know, most brands even you can do the whole Google trick where if you have a Gmail address, you can type in your username and then plus sign, and anything that comes after that plus, Google ignores. But it looks like a new email address to almost any platform. And so the first thing I do when we work with brands is one of our steps is in our initial audit is to look through their email list and see how many plus signs we see. Because that's the only legit reason to have a plus sign in there, right? So (laughs) it's interesting. I've not seen it that much. So I'm I'm aware of the trick, but I don't think it's that well known. However, I've seen loads of yacht mail. Is the one I see the most. Yeah. I think you get loads of five-minute emails, ten-minute emails, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But Yotmail is one that pops up um, yeah. quite a lot, or or yeah. just typos. Oh, the yeah. amount of times that I've actually 
deliberately just typoed on that form because also a, lo- a lot of a lot of brands will give you the discount code on the next page, which means I don't even have to give a real working email address to get that code, and then then it just whatever I use for the order confirmation. Yeah, it's a challenge, and and you know. The reality is tracking things based on email is is just it's ineffective now, a hundred percent ineffective because of Apple and a couple other of these. Google's going to start doing this soon, where they have the the relay where you know you sign in with Apple and it gives it an email address that just now forwards to you. So, I you know the reality is as people move more to mobile, this has become one tap to do that. So most consumers are like, yeah, I don't want to give you my information. I'll I'll have it run through Apple instead. And so, you know, it's a it's a challenge. And the best way to get around that is to provide value. Consumers will trade their real information for actual value. There's one thing you said probably five ten minutes ago. Now, yeah. So obviously, one one thing you could do is CRO for the perp just for the purpose of improving conversion rates, which leads to black hat tactics. It leads to discounting, incentivizing things like that. What are the benefits that a business can see from a CRO program outside of just conversion rates? Wow. So obviously we're in an industry that's called conversion rate optimization. And <laughs> yeah. it probably is you feel this pain as much as I do, but there are so many other metrics that optimization can really benefit. I mentioned a few minutes ago average order value. That should be a big one. You know, you could look at cart abandonment, increasing add to cart, right? So really the the way that I judge this is we're going to initially come in and set up outline of what your funnel looks like. Really the goal is to increase the number of people who take the next step in the funnel. And then after we get to where, okay, people are getting through the funnel. Now we can start looking at what are ways that we can increase average order value? What are ways that now we can look at reducing cart abandonment? Let's optimize the cart uh, a little more. Let's also look at increasing your return on ad spend. So now you're sending all this traffic. We can start optimizing those landing pages where there's a, a clear connection between the message in the ad and the message on the page. So many brands, even big brands. I mean, we we work with some Fortune 500 and, and brands that – drive traffic to their homepage off of ads. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you have all the resources in the world and you can't set up a a landing page with taking you an hour that matches the messaging for the ads that you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to run. And little things like that will increase the effectiveness quite well. So really, in terms of metrics, conversion rate is just one of them. It's a good metric to track, and I see why people do that. But there are there are probably a good dozen metrics out there that you really want to be paying attention to that overall conversion rate optimization is going to have an effect on when done appropriately. Yeah, I think I know this is a bit more difficult to track, to really track it, but lifetime value is important as well and mm. repeat purchase rates. Yes, and. Yes. It is a little bit more difficult to attribute that to CRO, but obviously if you run some tests and make some changes and then none of those people come back, mm-hmm. you can be reasonably confident that you know, maybe you've done something wrong. Yeah, and we've likewise, we- several subscription brands, for instance, where you're really working on the subscription portal and the experience for subscribers to help yeah. increase that lifetime value. 
one, you know, you can optimize to get people into the subscription, but if they don't stick around, then it's kind of, you know, for moot. So what we do is, is, you know, start by, okay, there's people who have already subscribed. How do we make sure that they stick around? What's that experience look like? How do you make it easy for them to pause, to update the delivery date, to change their information? All of those things really matter much more than, than what a brand would typically think. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as so many subscription brands lose money on the first uh, couple of couple of months, few months. Yeah. You know, they obviously spending a lot of money to acquire customers. You've got the cost of the products themselves. Mm-hmm. It's normally very heavily discounted. I was I was having a chat with uh, someone in the growth team at Gusto not too long ago. Okay. Do you know Gusto? I do. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm interested. We're actually looking at moving over to Gusto. All right, and. And yeah, she was saying that they've got a big problem with with discounting because mm-hmm. partly because they they lack the ideas, I I suppose. Yeah. Like they, they don't have they don't have CRO people, they have mm-hmm. you know performance marketing people, but also that's the way the industry does it. So if you're that one company in the industry that sells a very, very similar product and you're the only one not offering 40 to 50 percent off. It's yeah, it is. It is a struggle. That peer pressure is is real, and it's hard. It is very difficult for a brand to keep up with the competitors if you're not doing them. But the same thing they are. But I even wrote a chapter about this in in opting into optimization, where I said, you know, your competition is just a distraction. If you really focus on your competition. There's a couple of issues. First of all, you don't know if you're copying from the valedictorian or the flunky. And how, you know, you have no idea. Did you get opted into a test? Right? So maybe the competitor was running a test when you went to the site and you got opted in. You think this is what they're doing all the time, but you were just part of a small sample size of a small test. And then you implement it as, as religion. And next thing you know, it's, you know, it's hurting you. Also, I have yet to find two brands that even if they compete, they're 100% alike. There are reasons why we're looking at Gusto, going back to that, versus we're using Rippling right now. They're completely different. I described it as Rippling is for the IT person, right? It's built by IT folks, and it's meant to be a whole integrated system. Gusto, on the other hand, is meant to be a beautiful, very user experience for HR teams, and not, you know, there's two different platforms there, basically. But they serve the same market in theory, but they have a different spin on how they should do it. So if they both tried to market exactly the same, you it wouldn't work. Because those folks who are HR folks who don't understand the technical details are going to move over to Rippling. And they're going to be overwhelmed in a minute. And then if you move from Rippling to Gusto, you're like... This is beautiful, but it might not have the exact um, automations or the flexibility I want, the customization I want. So you're kind of, you know, the same outcome is what they're what they're selling, right? HR platform with payroll, everything built in, but the one is much more of a technical aspect. The other is much more of a user friendly aspect, and and it's just the way they they sell and market each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I I did some work with a brand what, a couple of years ago, who they ran two websites, right? So they sold pretty much exactly the same product. Mm-hmm. Their websites were 
functionally the same, just different branding. And yet they had different audiences. They couldn't cross sell. I mean, there was like a tiny bit of cross selling they could do, but they, they just had, yeah, it was different audiences, different performance, but they were as, as close as you could get to the exact same website um, without literally just copy pasting the design across. Yeah, that, that's frustrating. And, but it's, you know, it's an epidemic. It's something that I see everywhere where brands are just copying off of each other. And that's why I felt like I had to write about that. And, you know, I guess when next time you're looking to, to copy, a brand should just really think about like, you know, there's a reason that racehorses wear blinders. If you take your eye off of the goal of where you're going, you're going to veer off and, and you're not going to win the race. So focus on where you're going and get there quicker. And you'll be in a much better position than if you continually copy everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the most frustrating things when working with clients is proposing a new idea, a new test. And someone says, oh, no one in the industry does it like that. They all do it like this. Yeah. Right. You know, as far as you're aware, what you described just happened, right? One website ran the idea, maybe tested it. If you're lucky, they tested it. And then everyone else has seen that and gone, oh, that website's doing that. That's really good. Let's, I like the look of that. Let's put that on. And then suddenly everyone in the industry is doing that exact same thing with no idea whether it works or not. It's, it's brutal. It's brutal to see it happen and to have to fight for that too, right? Be in the position that, that you and I are often in where we're having to, to have to explain why and you can come to them with hypotheses behind it. But if they're saying, well, no one else in our industry does this, that's a really hard you know, stance to fall back on and, and, and really protect. So I'm not a fan of it. And as you said, like, it, they just don't understand it quite often. And that, that becomes yeah. a challenge. So, Yeah, frustrating. And unfortunately, e- even the why don't we just test it approach doesn't, still yes. doesn't always, always work. Yeah, it was interesting before we started recording, you were saying, hey, you know, this is going to be great because we can, we both have a lot of the same pain points. <laughs> and so that is definitely one of them. Yeah, cool. So uh, apart from copying, what are, yeah. what are some of the mistakes you see brands make with their website? Well, I think that we've talked about my, soap, my two big soapboxes, which are discounting, right? And, and copying. I think in addition to that, brands aren't talking to their consumers. So mm-hmm. I mentioned that a little bit ago as well, but getting consumers involved in the process of optimizing your site is one of the biggest shortcuts. There's a great book out there called The Mom Test. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read it, it's a short read, easy read, but it's all about how to talk to your consumers in a way that is going to get valid feedback. It's called The Mom Test because you, it basically says you should never test anything with your mom. Because she's always just going to be like, that's lovely, honey. Like, yeah. yeah, of course, you should do that. <laughs> and so it's how to avoid that type of situation. And I think, you know, some of the other biggest issues I see are brands are so close to their website because they're on it every day. They know their products. They know what their products are used for, how to use their product. They, they just, they're in their own world every day. And a new to file customer coming in has no idea on any of that. It's a blank slate. And so I see that so many brands build a wayfinding, like navigation and a path through their site of conversions that 
is aligned with all the information that they know. So they essentially built a website for themselves, not for these new to file customers. <laughs> yep. And I consistently am telling brands that it's, it's really hard to read the label from inside the jar, right? They are so close inside that jar that they just, they don't know what it's like for somebody outside of it. So that's where I think that having a third party like you come in and really be able to tell brands, this is what consumers are saying. And I think that the first thing that, that we're experts at in conversion optimization really should be helping brands understand what the experience is like for their consumers. That yep. should be the number one task of any optimization person because you can't do anything else, in my view, right? Without You can't run tests without those hypotheses. You can't form hypotheses without talking to consumers. And you can't really understand what the experience is like without talking to consumers. So... You know, it all comes back to really involving them from from the first step, and and I think that's a big opportunity for brands is to is to just involve their consumers and and get outside that jar, and say, okay, what are consumers looking to do on our site? What information are they hoping is there? What information is missing that that you know they want yeah. to help make their decisions? So, yeah. So I yeah, and it's so easy to it it maybe takes a little bit of time. But it's easy to get this information. You know, you can send out an email to your database and ask them all to jump on a fifteen-minute call, fifteen to thirty minutes. You know, ideally thirty. I, f- I find that thirty minutes works. But there's other sources you can go to. You know, reviews. Just go and read the reviews of your company and of your competitors, and you'll start to pick out a, a few key themes that keep popping up. I've just started working with a CBD brand, and taste has come up. Mm. The, the top two reviews both stated they loved the taste of the products and that it was uh, they used some some really great language so it was refreshing and minty and all, all that sort of stuff but one of the reviews specifically mentioned that a lot of cbd tends to be bitter in flavor mm. okay. so that's now an amazing insight for me to go to go target because if that's what a lot of people think that generally cbd products taste bitter and we're being told that our products taste amazing. Is that on the website? Yeah. If not, where can we get that on the website? How can exactly. we make that a key point for people? That's a great idea. And even running an ad campaign around that and just sending them to a landing page, you'll be able to test the effectiveness of that language without updating your entire site pretty quickly. And then you can say, yeah. wow, that that's resonating. We should probably update more of our site around that. So yeah, that that's... You know, those and type of insights are, are easy that, to come by, as you said. People just don't do it. Yeah. And again, just going back to the bitterness, right? This indicates to, indicates to me that this could be quite a big, a big win, potentially. Mm. If it's if it genuinely is a big thing for customers that they a lot of people don't like the taste of C B D products, this could be a big win for them. Okay. So and that took I mean that that bit in particular took about five minutes of research because it was the, it was mentioned in the first two reviews. But yeah, you've you've just got to go on there and you know check check the positive reviews, check the negative reviews, both yourselves and your and your your competitors. Yeah. There'd be so much information in there, which you can then just go and you know speak to some people on the interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have way more information now to go and start asking informed questions when you're talking to these consumers, right? So you can ask, hey, what what made you choose us? How you know is it you know or 
how would you typically describe the flavor of CBD versus our flavors, right? And you're not really leading them that much. You don't want to say, hey, most people say that it's bitter and, right? And so I think there's a, I mean, that's another art form. Add that to the list of skills needed is how to appropriately form questions in interview that you're, you're doing this in a way that's getting valid information. Yeah. How to, how to ask questions that aren't leading biased. Um, don't give one word, don't, don't uh, provide one word answers. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it, it is difficult, right? When you're, you're trying to keep an interview going, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to follow up on, follow up on responses. You're trying to ask new questions. If you are then having to think on the fly because you've gone down a certain path with that conversation, you, you know, you do have to, you know, it's okay to spend a few seconds just formulating that question and making sure it's actually something valuable. Because if you mess up the question, you can't then re-ask it in a different format. It's, you, you know, damage is done. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Cool. Any other mistakes just related to CRO that you'd want to highlight? One or two, uh, one or two more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think that I see an issue all the time where people will, brands really try to send people to their blog right away. And they have it in their main navigation. They're featuring it on their homepage. I'm a firm believer that a blog is actually the top of the funnel. That is the very top of your funnel. And the next step down is your homepage not the other way around. And why I believe that is because blogs are great for getting traffic. They're great for SEO purposes, et cetera, but they're not great at converting. I've never seen a blog that outconverts another page on a site. It just, blog content is, is really there for education. It is the top of the funnel, drive awareness even. Now, what brands always say, we put so much effort into this blog, like I don't want to just eliminate it. And I agree, but that content can then be reused. So leave the blog up there. Just know that it's not going to convert extremely well, but use bits of that content that you've spent so much effort formulating on things like your PDP. So go into your product detail page and say, okay, this has great use case of, you know, a tent here. We're selling tents. Great use case that this one keeps you really warm. Here is an excerpt from a blog article, someone who used this tent on Everest, right? And like the most worst conditions you can possibly experience that this tent helped them. And, you know, then you can say, hey, if you're interested in reading more about it, you click here, you can read the entire article. And send, again, you might be sending people back up the funnel. But the reality here is that it's great to have that content, but also use it in a supporting fashion if you want people to actually convert instead of just sending people to the blog page. So that's a big one mistake that I see is people immediately wanting to drive traffic to blog pages, which I'm always a fan of eliminating those or moving them down to the footer and using that content elsewhere. Yeah. Well, like you say, you know, you say you might be sending them back up the funnel, but if a customer is, wants to click on that and read that information, mm-hmm. it probably means that's where they should be because yeah. they're not ready to commit to that purchase. They do need more information. So mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I I agree. A second one you asked for two. A second one, I would say that brands need to, once somebody gets to your site, stop marketing to them. 
So many brands continue to market to people when they reach the site instead of sell to them. Now, there's a very big difference here in the sense that marketing is, you know, you continue to try to generate awareness. You're talking all about who you are as a brand and things of that sort, as opposed to here's our products and how they're going to help improve your life. Now, remember I said earlier, people are only at your site for two reasons. I'm a firm believer of this. In 13 years of optimizing sites, we've never seen people come to a site to hang out. You know, they were not Facebook, right? They are there because they have a task or a need, and they're there to accomplish it as quickly and easily as possible. And once they decide that they can or they learn how they can, they, they take that action as quickly and easily as possible. And so really it's all about educating and then helping them facilitate that action. And anything outside of those two is, is really unnecessary if they're already on your site. Now, I'm not saying you don't include some brand personality. I'm not saying you don't include why you should buy from us over our competitors. You know, there's these brands that are all saying, you know, buy one, we'll give one to charity, things like that. But you shouldn't really lead with that. That should be a a tactic that helps push people over the barrier to get them to. It should be a tool that is used appropriately, not the only tool that's deployed on the site. And that's the problem I see is a lot of brands continue to market instead of helping consumers to educate and and purchase. Yeah, I think we see this a lot with sustainability mm. at the moment. Either brands are going really, really like heavily down that route to the point where that's all you see on the, on the website and it's a bit like, okay, but what do you actually sell? Yeah. And then you've got the other end of the scale, which is the, the bad side of it, I would say, really, which is companies who just put that label on their products. Mm-hmm. And that's the only mention of sustainability on the website. And then that's a bit like, well, do you? you know, I, was, I was having a conversation with, with someone who, who will be on the podcast at some point, actually. And he was saying there, there are big, big brands out there who are launching sustainable lines of products, mm-hmm. but these lines, and, and they make a big fuss out of that. And it, you know, it, it uh, goes on their homepage and, and everything, yeah. but these products form such a small percentage of their revenue yeah. that it, essentially it's meaningless. Yeah. But they're, I mean, they're kind of bigging it, up that sustainability base. It's funny you say that. I'm actually, I just bought some Nike shoes. You know, I'm in Portland, Oregon. United States, where headquarters of Nike is here. So occasionally we get to go. Basically, if you live in Portland, you know anybody, you can get into the in Nike employee store. So everything's okay. you know, <laughs> discount, whatever. And so I was fortunate to be able to go there last week. And I bought a pair of shoes that are supposedly sustainably made shoes. And I was like, these. I like the look of them. They're comfortable. And I'm doing good. And I get home and I start reading the little booklet they put in the box of the shoes. And it's a made of 20% sustainably made materials. And I was like, well, 20% is better than zero. But your marketing was this is a sustainable shoe. And it yeah. turns out it's only 20% sustainable. <laughs> and the reality is this is one pair of shoes out of the millions that Nike produces You know, every year. It's probably not that, that you know, meaningful of a transition for Nike. But... I, I hear what you're saying on that, and I think that there's a lot, a lot of work to be done there, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, just before we finish, just a couple of quick yeah. questions. Is there anyone in the kind of D2C or e-commerce marketing space that you would want to have lunch with? 
Ooh, wow. I'm pretty fortunate that I get to hang out with a lot of those folks already and, and do conferences and stuff with them. You know, one of somebody I think a lot of people should be following right now, his name is Chris Mead, runs uh, marketing CMO for and, and one of the co-founders of a brand um, called CrossNet. They invented a sport, which is basically volleyball and Foursquare combined. And he's got a, a whole new enterprise that they're starting up here pretty soon. And he is very open and shares everything. And there's a lot to be learned there, of especially from a brand perspective of what it's like, you know, that A, you're not alone. Right. Everyone else is having these same challenges in direct to consumer DTC stuff. And he's very open about how they do what they do and the, and the numbers behind everything. So there's a lot of public sharing and knowledge to be had there. But also from a I enjoy reading it from a service provider consultant side of saying, what are the challenges they're having? What's keeping him up at night? Those are things that we should be looking to solve. And so Chris is great. I, I, I know him personally already, but for those who, who don't, following him is, is, is well worth the time spent. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I've been following him on LinkedIn for probably a couple of years now, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's yeah, really, definitely. really interesting stuff he posts. It's quite just to the point as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you say, it doesn't, it's quite open doesn't really hold back on things. So yeah, definitely worth a follow. And just finally then, have you got a couple of marketing tools that you'd recommend to people? Like software tools? Yeah, software tools, maybe on the customer research side, given that Uh, we've we've, we've talked about that quite a lot. I'm a huge fan of Microsoft Clarity lately. So it's a rather new entrant to heat mapping. And it's, uh, you know, it, it kind of heat mapping, everybody used Crazy Egg for for a handful of years, then everybody moved to Hotjar. I mean, there were some other tools in between there, but Hotjar has been the big mainstay for the past six, seven years, probably. Um, great tools, still love Hotjar, but it's a business and they don't have a Microsoft supporting them, so they charge for it and does have some extra functionality, but Clarity has come along and done what Google did for A-B testing. And I'll talk about that in a second, but Clarity is free. It's backed by Microsoft. So yeah, Microsoft's getting maybe getting some data out of it, but um, the reality is it does it, you know it, it does a pretty good job and you can't beat the price on that. It's the same thing that Google has done. I'm, I'm a huge fan and becoming more and more a fan over the years of Google, where when we started doing this, Optimizely was the big tool, right? And it started mm-hmm. out, Optimizely was $49 or $100 per month. They had a couple of packages. And then they quickly realized that they were severely undercharging. And I mean severely because now it's like several thousand dollars per month is a minimum. And it's fully gone enterprise. They don't, they're not, unless you do millions and millions a year in revenue, you're not going to be able to afford or really be able to take advantage of all the functionality that's in Optimizely. But for the 99% of everybody else in the world, um, Google has come along and, and offered a free tool and optimized that is it is great. And it works extremely well. They do have a paid version if you really want to get more advanced with it. But for vast majority of folks, the free version works extremely well. And then third, we actually uh, acquired a tool not too long ago and we're completely revamping it, but it's called User Input, uh, userinput.io. And it's basically user testing for everybody who doesn't want to pay Usertesting.com, thousands and thousands of dollars every year for to be able to do it. So this is, and it's a done for you user testing as well. So instead of having a tool set in the platform that user testing does where you 
have to really come up with all your own information. User input is all about getting that input from the users. But if you're a small to mid-sized e-commerce brand and you don't know the first thing about user testing, because as we talked about earlier, it is its own skill set, that is a great place to start. So that's why we decided we've, we saw this need and, and came out with this tool. Awesome. So is that live again or? Yeah, so you can go there right now, but we're overhauling the site and and improving the experience quite a bit. And so the new overhaul site should be out by end of May. And then the current site, though, you can certainly place orders on and, and works well. So, yeah. Awesome. Cool. I'll definitely get that in the uh, in the show notes. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you. This has been fantastic. Really interesting uh, stuff. Like we said, it's it's good to chat about the same problems. But, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully this it has explained CRO a bit better to, to some of the listeners. And yeah, yeah really valuable. Awesome. Thank you so much. I um, if, having me. It was a great chat. If anyone wants to get in touch, what's the best way of doing that? The best way is just to send me an email. I try to check and read every email that comes in. It's John J O N at the good dot com so j-o-n with no h and hit me up i'm happy to do that i'm also on twitter at john mcdonald so feel free to find me on there and uh, yeah I, i'm happy to engage and answer your questions awesome all right thanks so much john a lot of brands don't seem to understand that by really focusing on what the customer wants and helping them achieve their goals that's what's going to really benefit the company as well the more value you can show your customers the more helpful you are in making their lives better the more they're going to buy from you Unfortunately, a lot of websites go down the really heavy marketing route and are just so full of pop-ups, FOMO and scarcity messaging that the actual real messages that the customers are looking for get lost. The important stuff gets hidden away and this is where CRO comes in. CRO is there to help you unlock these messages, these opportunities and to help the business grow by really focusing on what the customer wants. If you'd like to hear more from John, you can find him on LinkedIn or head over to thegood.com. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Peter Durant joining me, and we're going to be talking about how BAM have built a brand around sustainability. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.